This is the WTF Bach Podcast. This is the podcast about all things Johann Sebastian Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. WTF Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. And now, here's WTF Bach. Hello, this is Evan Shinners, the alonym of one WTF Bach. The goal of this podcast is to get you to hear Bach the way I hear Bach. The whole impetus for creating such a program is to guide your ears, to set your mind on certain aspects of an otherwise very complicated music. I'm going to help you appreciate this ornate, this elaborate music by breaking it down, dissecting it, and then putting it together. You will listen to Bach's music once, with no prior knowledge, and again, knowing exactly what to listen for in the proper headspace. Now, as I said in the very first episode, if you want to calm yourself, put on Bach. If you want to get in a relaxed state of mind, put on Bach. If you're in heavy traffic, I recommend Bach. But if you want lasting happiness, study Bach. If you want to marvel at the accomplishments of humanity, if you want to see the potential of man, study Bach. Study Bach, Johannes Brahms said. There you will find everything. This is your brain on WTF Bach. Mind This is the podcast where we hear WTF Bach talk about Johann Sebastian Bach. Oh my God. All right, now there are 14 fugues in the Art of Fugue, and this here is an episode about fugue number seven, so that means that to some extent we are halfway through this analysis of the Art of Fugue. He's got this egg, as Robert Hill called it, and he hatches from the same egg two simple fugues and two upside-down fugues. Let's call that chapter one. And then he embarks on a new chapter where he sets about using that same egg to create three fugues where this theme is overlapping itself and coming upside down and right side up at the same time. And he does this first with a fugue where all the themes come at the same speed. And then in the next fugue, the theme is still traveling at the same speed, but all of a sudden it's also going twice as fast, sort of at the same time. Then, yes, this fugue here will be another fugue where the theme is traveling at different speeds, but three different speeds. Normal speed, twice as fast, and now twice as slow. So just for fun, let's take that sentence, that wonderful sentence which uses all letters of the alphabet in the English language, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, and let's play that at three different speeds. In the fifth fugue, it was all played at, quote, normal speed. So it sounds like, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. But also Fugue 5 saw a lot of simultaneous inversion and overlapping all at the same speed. So let's pretend that reversing me saying the quick brown fox, blah, 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 is the verbal equivalent of inverting a theme so that we can hear it at normal speed, uh, me speaking in two directions at once at the same speed. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Okay, now Fugue 6 is normal speed and also twice as fast, so we can hear that. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Now in Fugue 7... He adds a further dimension. Fugue 7 requires the previous two techniques, but also incorporates one further technique, twice as slow. So now we have this Art of Fugue theme, the same music being played at three different speeds. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. And we can use this technique with any type of music and get very wonderful results. Like here's me playing the so-called Moonlight Sonata of Beethoven at three different speeds. As you notice, this is beginning to sound more and more like mood music and not Beethoven. So the crazy thing about what Bach has done here in the Art of Fugue is that he plays this theme at three different speeds, but it still sounds like 
Bach. It's still a fugue following all the, quote, rules of counterpoint. It's not just a texture at three different speeds. It's an individual line. And somehow this individual line has to interact with the three other lines, all traveling at different speeds, and they all have to sort of retain their individuality, their freedom of being an independent voice. After this seventh fugue, he's finished demonstrating that the fugue subject can come at different speeds and can overlap and come in different directions. So he closes chapter two and a new chapter, fugue eight, our initial art of fugue theme, Bach starts combining that theme with other fugue subjects. So that is the definition of a double or a triple fugue if Bach takes the original subject and also starts fuguing with other subjects. That chapter closes. Then he opens up a really wild uh, chapter where he writes two fugues that can be played in a mirror. Now, yes, technically you can do this with any piece of music, especially if you have computer data for the notes. You just take the notes, hit a button, and it will play them upside down. But this isn't what interests Bach. That's just a random inversion of notes. Nor really should it be of any interest to us, because Bach actually did go through the trouble to compose music which can be flipped upside down or inside out and actually sound good, still sound like Bach, not just some random stuff which sounds like Hindemith. And that's no disrespect to Mr. Hindemith. But finally, Bach, to bring the entire work to an end, he begins writing a fugue which contains three subjects, the third of which is a spelling of his own name in musical notation, and just at the point when we await the glorious entrance of the art of fugue theme, this egg which has hatched a universe where we have spent our lives, it just, it just poofs, it, it disappears. So let's talk about hearing imagined music. In the previous episode, the interview with Robert Hill, he talked about pulling sounds out of thin air. And this is an extremely fascinating concept to me. One of my best friends talked to me about a concept called audiation, which she described it as audiation is to music what thought is to words. So that means, you know, if you just start saying random words, but there's no thought behind it, that's sort of just, you know, words, but there's no thought, there's no expression behind it. So to do the same thing, to just pick up a guitar and start strumming chords, to just play sort of the licks you know on any instrument is akin to just saying words that you know. It's like reciting poetry in a language that you don't speak. So audiation is actually being able to pull a distinct musical thought out of the air in your mind and then be able to express it on an instrument. I've been told this is one of the highest forms of music making. So right now, what I would like to do for the listeners is to ask you to do something not dissimilar from audiation and visualize the ideas in this fugue, this seventh contrapuntus, before you hear them. So I'm going to explain what's going on with the three different speeds here, give you a few seconds to imagine it, and then we will hear it. So this is a work where the melody is being played in three different speeds. First, just think of that statement, what it means. This is a work where the melody is being played at three different speeds. Now, if this melody, or the theme, or the subject, these are all interchangeable terms, could be thought of as a line, you have three different lengths of lines. In your head, imagine the length of the melody at what I call normal speed. There's clearly no wrong way to do this. Just imagine the length of the normal speed theme. Imagine a line. Now double the length of line you've just created. The double line in your mind you are now seeing is the melody played twice as slow because it takes twice the time to play the exact same line. Conversely, cut the normal length line in half. This is now the theme played twice as fast. Now compare the lengths of the twice as slow line to the twice as fast line. And now picture them stacked up on top of each other. Start with an easy one. 
twice as long on the bottom, normal speed in the middle, twice as fast on top. Try and imagine what that sounds like. Try and imagine slow moving music on the bottom in the bass, normal speed music in the middle, and fast music really high up. Once you've tried to imagine that, try and imagine what the inversion is. Try and imagine that same pyramid but inverted. So now up high, you have this slow music moving twice as slow. The middle is again still normal speed music, but now in the bass, these lowest notes are traveling the fastest. Bach will never do anything this basic, so you have to try and imagine the stuff that Bach would imagine. For example, imagine the long line in the bass, but various voices on top of it popping up in different places over this long line. In fact, because you could actually fit several of these twice as fast lines over the twice as slow line in the bass. Once you've started imagining little figures and shapes in your head and trying to imagine what that would sound like, we're ready to examine this fugue. And just a final image to imagine is that all of the notes in this fugue are water. And the fugue is made up of water. And the notes which are not part of the theme are nice and flowing, but the notes which are the theme, which are traveling at these three different speeds, are rigid and frozen. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a boat down these rivers of flowing notes, and we will happen upon these huge frozen glaciers, four of them. And within these glaciers, we will be able to see the theme being played at three different speeds, frozen in that structure. Okay, the soprano is the highest voice, the alto is the second highest, the tenor is the second lowest, and the bass is the lowest. So... Here we go, our first glacier. Imagine it in your head. Imagine the shape, what it looks like. We have twice as fast in the tenor, answered by the normal length in the soprano, then twice as fast in the alto. I'll say that again. Twice as fast in the tenor, answered by the normal length in the soprano, then twice as fast as the alto. Here's what it sounds like. may have noted that the soprano was the last one to finish there because it is traveling at the normal speed, whereas the others were traveling at double speed. But this is not yet the entire first glacier of this piece. That is the first half. Now, the second half of this glacier begins when the bass comes in twice as slow. And so I'm going to play the second half of this glacier now. The bass comes in twice as slow and is followed by twice as fast in the alto and twice as fast in the tenor. So we have the double length line in the bass and the twice as fast in the alto and the tenor on top of it. Think about what that might sound like and then I'll play it. Okay, here's what it sounds like. Okay, this was the tenor and alto coming in twice as fast over the bass, which is still going because it is twice as slow. And in fact, there is one other entrance in there, sort of a double entrance in the tenor. And I'm going to play just what I played for you now, the bass twice as slow, the tenor and alto twice as fast on top of that, but there is an additional entrance in the tenor. Bass and alto, here's the additional entrance to the tenor there.
and while this bass beats out the rest of the theme twice as slow, I wonder if you're beginning to notice that a lot of these double speed or normal speed entrances can take place over the course of one double length statement, because obviously they do. The entire first glacier then. It was first twice as fast in the tenor, the normal length in the soprano, and twice as fast in the alto, then the bass enters, and you had twice as fast in the alto, and two statements twice as fast as the tenor. So let's hear the entire first glacier. Okay, and that brings us to the end of the first glacier. Now, it's not so important that you remember, uh, oh, it was twice as fast in the tenor or twice as fast in the alto, so much as you're trying to hear that this is the same shape of music traveling at three different speeds. And maybe before I play the next glacier, you can sort of match or compare how you think the music is going to sound before you hear how Bach did it. Okay, but to be fair, those are only the glaciers, and there is no water for them in which to float. So now we will hear from the beginning the entire first glacier with all of the notes in between. Okay, that's a lot to take in, but the good news is that's already a quarter of the piece. That's 25% of the way through the piece. And if you're thinking like Bach, and I know you are, you'll see that Bach is structuring this fugue based on that double-length line. It's called the augmented subject. That's the technical term. When you augment something, you're pulling it apart, you're making it bigger. So this is the double-length line, which will occur only four times in this piece, one in each voice. So that's sort of the organizing principle of this fugue. An augmented subject, the double length line, in one of the four voices. So we just heard it here in the bass, and now our next glacier will feature it in the tenor, and the third glacier in the alto, and finally the last one all the way up top with the big double length line in the soprano. Okay, but before the second glacier approaches, we sort of have this ice cube in the river, and it is twice as fast in the soprano, normal in the alto, and twice as fast in the tenor. So imagine what that looks like. The short line up top in the soprano, normal in the alto, and then another shorter line below that in the tenor. Try and imagine what that might sound like, and then I'll play it. Okay, here we go.
right, now we're coming across our second glacier here, and the big line is going to be in the tenor. That's the second to lowest voice. This glacier will not feature any of the normal speed lines. It will be exclusively twice as fast, short little lines, and the double length twice as slow line. So first we hear a twice as fast line in the tenor, and then another one below it in the bass. And then above the bass, the alto enters twice as fast, and right as the alto enters, the tenor begins singing its double length line. Let's see if we can just hear that. Twice as fast in the tenor, followed by twice as fast in the bass, then twice as fast in the alto, and right as the alto begins, twice as slow in the tenor. Here we go. Double length line in the tenor going really, 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 really slow. And we're still not over yet. You've noticed that in this particular moment, in this particular glacier, there was some rhythmic uh, variance. There was some playing with the rhythm of the theme. Okay, that is the first half of the glacier. Now the next half of the glacier continues because that double length line in the tenor is still not over yet. And as it's continuing, we'll hear double speed below it in the bass and double speed on top of it in the alto. So it's sort of like a double speed sandwich with the center of the sandwich is this long tenor line. And on each side of it, you have these double speed lines, these little lines in the alto and the bass. Let's hear that from the middle of the tenor. This is still the long line. We're waiting for the short line. There it is. And on top of it now. Okay, so that's halfway through the piece right there. That's halfway through this insanely complicated piece of counterpoint where the subject is traveling at three different speeds. And I believe that the third and fourth glaciers are a little bit easier to visualize than those first two, so already I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, you've been following along and you notice that the long lines started in the bass and then through the tenor and now we'll move up into the alto. And just as in that second glacier, we did not have any so-called normal speed lines. Well, here at the beginning of the third glacier, we won't have any short double speed lines. We will only have the double length, really slow line in the alto. And on both sides of it, again, in the tenor and the soprano, we'll have sort of a sandwich of themes moving at the normal speed. Not the double speed, but the normal speed. So visualize the long line in the middle, and then on both sides of it, two normal speed lines in the tenor and soprano, and then we'll hear it. Okay, let's do it. that's so cool and it's not even over yet the alto is still singing that double length theme but this is like Bach you know he's he's been doing things so fast he's had a lot of these double speed subjects these really short lines but this one right here in the middle of the fugue no short lines only the normal line only the double line
I stopped, but now he's going to go double in this piano. Go! And now double in the alto. Now he's going to do double in the alto again. Here it is. Double speed. Now he's going to go double speed in the tenor. And double speed in the bass. Okay, so did you see that? He was taking his time with that glacier. Everything was moving nice and slowly. Everything was moving at a glacial pace, if you will. And then all of a sudden he, he says, okay, no, uh, enough of that. We have to do the double speed. And he does it in this cascade. He starts in the soprano, then does it in the alto, then does it in the alto again. I love that. Let's hear the double entrance just in the alto of the double speed, those short lines. Because here you can't even tell where one theme stops and where the other begins. Okay, so that's the end of the third glacier. So let's hear the whole third glacier again. Remember, it was double length line in the alto, followed by the normal on both sides of it, and then the cascade of double speed short lines from the top, the double, double short speed line, you know, the two entrances in the alto, then down through the tenor and the bass. So now that our second highest voice has been the one with the augmented subject, with the double length line, we go to the fourth glacier, which contains, yes, the highest voice, our soprano, with the double length line. Now here's what to visualize. The soprano with the double length line, underneath it the alto with the short double speed line, followed by an explosion of the alto and the tenor with the double speed short lines separated by only one beat. Let's just hear the double speed explosion separated by one beat. Try and imagine that falling underneath this double length line. And here you go. Get ready for it. Here's the explosion separated at one beat. Here. Okay, now that's pretty much the end of the piece, except right there to really intensify the ending, Bach adds an extra voice in the soprano. So it's like the sopranos all of a sudden become divided and they are singing two different lines. Here is the extra voice in the soprano right at the end of its double length line.
It's pretty cool stuff, especially when you're playing it and you're sort of looking at the score and you see that there are five notes and you go, what's going on? Am I making a mistake? My fingers are playing five notes. I know there's only four voices. Or even when you look at the score in open score and you see that Bach's penned in there to that top line in that soprano clef, this extra voice coming out of thin air. It's really beautiful. So let's play this last cadence here because I want you to hear this little flourish that Bach does in that soprano voice to signify that the ending is coming. Did you hear that? That was the little flourish. And if you're playing that on a harpsichord or a piano or whatever, you could really make a big show out of it. There's very little, very little room for schmaltz in Bach, but right there, that's one of the schmaltzy areas. And this is a really fitting conclusion to the second chapter of Stretto Fugues, where the theme is flying at every conceivable version of Stretto and inversion, and things are just going in every single voice. And then this fugue, where it's not only happening in every single voice at every conceivable beat, but there are things going at three different speeds. So that makes the next order of business to listen to the fugue with all of the water in between the glaciers. I will play it once on an electric version where it's a bit easier to hear the separation of the voices. But when I play the version after that, which is played by a human being, it's not so easy to keep track of them. But that's part of the thing, is that this music isn't meant to hit you over the head with its construction. It's meant to sound like good music, and then the construction, when it's discovered in retrospect through study, really makes it all the more remarkable. So here's the fugue with all the water, the seventh contrapuntist from the Art of Fugue. It is known as the contrapuntus in diminution and augmentation.
said it would be played by a human being next, I lied, because it will be played by four of them. Here is the Keller Quartet. Now, if you have to hold on to one thing, if you have to direct your ear to one place in this complicated music, direct it to the long notes and realize that you are holding on to that double length line. And while doing that, you might notice that these shorter things start to pop out on top of it.
Well, thanks for listening, everybody. That is the end of Chapter 2, the Stratofugues within the Art of Fugue. So the next episode, we will have to look at the next canon, which is the canon at the 10th. And then after that, who knows where? Well, I do. You are listening to the WTF Bach Podcast. We're a brand new podcast. We want to hear from you. Got suggestions? You want a specific piece of Bach analyzed by Evan? Best for you. You can write to us. Do you want to partner with us? Write us at the WTF Bach Podcast. Send us a donation on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. WTF Bach. Help keep this podcast alive. Support us. Find the links in the episode description. What a, what a great day to be listening to WTF Bach. Thank you for listening. listening.